Well, it's a real joy to be here, and uh, I did ask Brother David if he'd uh, let me. I, I don't ask everybody, but I figured I could ask Brother David, and it'd be all right to have the Sunday school hour. Now, there's a purpose of that, not that I'm good at anything, but because we're living in the end time, I think you know for the church, we're not going to say anything about that. <clears throat> But what I'm saying is we're confronted with such error in this age. You remember Paul said uh, in the latter days, you know, what we're all facing and we really can't tell exactly. But um, there's a lot of false doctrine being taught all over the country, especially on television. And uh, what I want to do, I just want to lecture for a little while and uh, talk to you about just rightly dividing the Word. What we have is 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. You have 66 books. And um, this is a Jewish book. You can put your finger at the beginning of Genesis and go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Now, some cares a little further, that's fine. Because really, they never got started until the Holy Spirit came, because the church is not an organization, it's an organism. And so, I just want to just briefly move over some things and try to be a blessing this morning and to help you. So I want us to just look at the Scripture for just a little while and think about it. And just rightly divide some of the truth. Now, I just say in the beginning, here's what we have. Now, some calls them a philosophy. It's not. It's a theology. And we have several of those, and here's what it is. And then I want to back up and show you, unless you're one of these, you can never be right in rightly dividing the Scripture. First of all, you have what is called premillennialism. And then you have just, um, let's say it's premillennial, postmillennial, mid-tribulation, and uh, kingdom now, and uh, dominion theology. Now, that's what you have. I heard a very learned man, and he is a theologian here some time back, said, um, while talking, he said, there are two more that's been added. And I thought, oh, my. But let me explain them for just a moment. And I'm sure this is a premillennial believing church. Right, Pastor? All right. And if you're not a premillennialist, you'll never be able to get Scripture right. In doctrine of salvation, eternal security, the second coming of Christ, where's the wedding, and etc. Just to name a few. But uh, you and I believe in the premillennial return of Christ. That is, He will return for the church which is the espoused bride of Christ, to be the bride of Christ. And um, so this is how we believe it. The Lord will suddenly come for the church. Now, give a little thing. Let me give it to you and because I'm just going to build on that. And you'll understand. On, uh, uh, now, you'll, you'll find that little booklet I gave you, man, this Jesus did. Here's what he done. He got up and came down and laid down. Got up, went up and sat down. Soon he'll get up and come down. We'll get up and go out. We'll be gone seven years. Then he'll get up. We'll all get up and come down. And the battle of Armageddon will be won through him. And so the kingdom will be set up. Now here's the thing about it. This kingdom age that is being preached now is not for the church age. Now realize you can do it if you look at the omniscience of God. That's, that's what is to show us that we would understand it. 
Because what we have is the gospel of the grace of God. And knowing that you and I are saved by grace. Now, I run into it very often, and so I thought, well, what I'll do, I'll just try to be a blessing. Now, I'll never give this lecture that I'm giving. I had three whenever uh, I was teaching there in that little college of a thing we started at Grace. But um, I hope I'll be able to remember this one. But nevertheless, you and I are premillennial. So, the Jews is the selected wife of God. And the New Testament carries the bride of Christ. Now, you do remember that God reached out for Israel one time. And they rejected Him. But He's going to reach out again. When the church is raptured away, that's when the tribulation began. That thing lasts for seven years. But you divide those seven years to three and a half and three and a half. And so the first three and a half is going to be relatively peaceful and prosperous because all the saints have will be left behind and that will be so that will be in the hands of the nations and they'll enjoy that for a season for sure. But nevertheless, we'll look at the Bible just uh, just an overview of it. So that's a premillennial. Now, postmillennial, they want to spiritualize a lot of things. And uh, their view is not our view as of the second coming of Christ. So we have Scripture for every bit of that that is coming for the church. And so in the postmillennial, they believe that the church will go further. But nevertheless, several things they believed, and I, I didn't have my notes. In fact, I couldn't see them. I think they're in those filing cabinets when I sold my library. All of that went with them. But it's neither here nor there. But look at the mid-tribulationist. Now, they uh, claim the church will go middle ways of the tribulation and then be caught out. That's not so. Paul said, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, what he is saying, I'm not trying to change anything, but what he is saying, God has not appointed us to the tribulation period. But you and I will be free of all of that. But to obtain salvation, that is deliverance out before and we'll be with him. So the post-millennialists believe that. The mid-tribulationists, they embrace that. And then what you have is then the kingdom now. Uh, I I came in yesterday, and I, I'd been out in all that wind and everything, just walked out to a little barn of mine and came back in. I thought, well, I'm going to turn the news on. I'll turn it on and see if I can find any religious, carrying uh, uh, on, preachers, whatever. And I turned it on. And here sits this man and this lady. Now, I'm not going to name no names because some of you may be looking at it. It's all right if you want to do that. And uh, this little lady said, you might have seen it. She said, honey, I want you to look. We've got this wonderful letter and said, I want to read it. And she said, this is from a lady up in Canada. And said, uh, she said, um, oh, I want to thank you. I've been trying to get it verbatim. And uh, said, uh, I got away from the Lord. But said, I started listening to you. And y'all brought me back into the kingdom. Well, we don't preach the kingdom now. Now, you know what? There's two that preach the kingdom. Number one, John the Baptist. When he came and he preached, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus came along and he preached the kingdom. And so you must remember, Jesus was offering to the Jewish nation what the prophets had prophesied, and they knew there'd be a kingdom. 
But they didn't, they didn't see it as the way you and I, because the church was hid from them and recessed in a valley, and all the prophets of the Old Testament saw two things, the cross and the crown. They saw him crucified, but they had no idea what happened between here and when he is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And so uh, they didn't understand that. But nevertheless, the gospel of the kingdom, whenever the Jews rejected Christ, now you know where it happened? The final offering was by Jesus. And it had been promised, John said it would come, and here's what Jesus said. They asked question him. He said, uh, in essence, said, if you have John to be Elijah, I'll set up my kingdom. That's not verbatim as those words, but he meant the same thing. Just accept him and I'll set up my kingdom. Well, they didn't do it. So what happened, the kingdom message was stopped in the book of Acts. James, the half-brother of Jesus, went into the temple and he brought the first message. And you know what it was? Well, he had uh, resided over that conference meeting. And he said, God hath appointed him to bring out a people that he might have a body. And then the eyes of the Jews, when the Spirit of God came, their eyes were open. So, now, some says, now, Here's what it is in the philosophy of some. Uh, Post-millennial. They'll say uh, all the promises and the covenants God made with Israel will be taken and was taken and given to the church. Well, that's not so. That's not so. That belongs to the Jews and God will give them that in the day to come. So what you and I are looking forward to is the rapture. So anyway, I remember as a young preacher, uh, I'd go down to preach this church, and I, I didn't know what to believe. And I was sitting on the front row, and a fellow was reading a Sunday school lesson, and he began to spiritualize all of it. And I thought, now that's not right. You can't spiritualize that. But that's what he's doing. And I finally learned. When I left there, I was talking to a preacher. And I said, well, what do they believe? said, they're post-millennial. Well, I didn't, I didn't know what he's talking about. A post-millennial. But I, I finally found out what it's all about. Is that message. Now, in one of those uh, uh, services, if you call it that, they were having, uh, here's what they did. You know what Jesus said? Now, now, mind you, the gospel of the kingdom was to be preached until the coming of the Holy Ghost. It all stopped when Christ was crucified on the cross. And uh, they were quoting where Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, they only picked that out because, you know, they're things to be added. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, if they had set up that kingdom, then they would have had all the promises what God had given, and it would be brought into effect. But um, they rejected him. And then at Pentecost, the Spirit of God came. Now may I explain something right here before I go any further. We're talking about Christ and we're just getting an overall view of some of the things of the Scripture. So we'll know how to rightly divide the Word. And uh, whenever the Son of God came, now I, I just found a lot of people uh, understands differently, but I tell them if they want to be wrong, go ahead, be perfectly all right with me. And uh, that Christ was a spirit. He had no fleshly body. And so 
the Paul just filled it up. I'm, I'm good at Romans and probably spend the rest of the time in there because that is a book of doctrine and I'll, I'll point it out to you. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Paul said when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. So I was teaching there in grace while I, when I was pastoring there. I pastored 26 years to the day. And uh, so this fellow came up after the class had dismissed, and I stand down there, and he, he said, uh, Pastor said, uh, uh, would you explain something for me? That's what is it. He said, uh, you know, Paul said, where there's no law, sin is not imputed. I said, that's exactly right. Well, he said, uh, you know, you and I believe that to go to heaven, you have to go by the blood of Jesus Christ. I said, that's right. And he said, well, I don't understand that. But let me simply say, when the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, here's what he did. When he left heaven and came down, some way mysteriously, none of us know how this has happened, that he went by the house of Mary and got him a body, fleshly body. And then the scripture says that it was like unto sinful flesh. It wasn't sinful flesh. It was like unto peach him. You'd say it feels just like flesh. Yes, but it was sinless flesh. And the reason for that was to redeem them that were under the law. No one's going to be saved, go to heaven, except by the precious blood of Christ. And so he was made of that one. And somebody said, well, why in the world was he made that way? Well, to fulfill all of the demands of the law. And he did. Now, pardon me, we're going to step a little further and at Calvary because it would be a good place to enter this. Now, what I'm trying to do is take segments of lessons and bind them together. And uh, But nevertheless, uh, we think about when he went to the cross. There are seven sayings of that cross that he said. The last one was, it is finished. Now, I want to just show you something. When he had said the sixth saying of the cross, there's a moment of pause. He lifts his head while the nerves are convulsion. The pain is almost unbearable. What it is, he's bearing our sins. He looks down backwards and sees that the law is fully satisfied. So he satisfied the just demands of the law when he seen that every I had been dotted and every T been crossed, every jot and tittle had been fulfilled. He said, it's finished. Bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now here's what he did. He satisfied the just demands of the law. He appeased the wrath of God and the book of Hebrews, I think somewhere in 9, maybe 10, along there somewhere, I know where it's at. It sits up at the top of my Schofield Bible. And, uh, but uh, nevertheless, it talks about the blood of Christ. How it went back and sh- sheltered all of them under the cross. Could I just pause here for a moment and say a word about how just simply to study the Bible, and you'll enjoy it as never before. This thing of just coming in from work, picking up the Bible just for the sake of saying, I've read it, and read a little bit of it. No. Look, let's just for a moment, would you let me do this? Let's just pretend all of you have been saved about a week. There's such a hunger in you to know God, know this book, and you'll say, I, I'm, I'm going up to the school to try to learn something. So you come in. Now what we do on the first day, we will sign you your work. 
But we're going to get acquainted. And we're just going to talk and get acquainted with you. But I'm going to sign you. Now, if I were to ask this class, you know, how many has read through the Bible entirely? Well, I'll be summoned, lift their hand. Now, not new converts, but others. But I said, from cover to cover, have you read it all? And some will say, yes. I said, well, let me ask you. Uh, when was your Bible printed? Who gave the footnotes? And I said, have you read the history of it? Have you ever read the beauty of the Gospels? No, no. I said, then you haven't. That's your lesson. You go home before you ever read Genesis 1 in the beginning, God. I want you to open it and look at it and get acquainted with your Bible. If it is a study Bible, I must say this. Don't order anything. Don't go to the store to buy anything, the study book, till you check with your pastor. And especially avoid things that are free. Now here's what's going to happen. Now I've seen this. Now look, I experienced it through a couple in my church. Now, your pastor, Brother James, will be up here and he'll be preaching the truth. And then you've got a Bible that's not baptistically and premillennially and other ways of knowing truth. And you'll look down and you'll punch your companion and you'll say, that's not what my Bible says. And you're going to cause a little ripple. Don't do that. Get authority from your pastor. He gave me authority to teach this morning. I greatly appreciate it. But let me simply say, you need a good study Bible. I want to say something to this young preacher here this morning. Never be a cheapskate. If you're going to study and know anything about God in this Bible, you're going to have to pay top price. Now I'm going to illustrate it. I know I'm jiffing, jiffing around a little bit this morning, but uh, I, I'm trying to get in a few things that are help you, and I, I want to help this man. Just beware of what type of Bible you have. Now, you'd be surprised how many what I call study Bibles that I have. And they're wonderful in their place. Like Jack Van Empey with his Bible, I have his. Uh, I know Jack. We had him in Atlanta when I was there. And, uh, the independent churches got together and had him preach. But th- that's neither here nor there. But what I want to say, there's several ways of studying the Bible. And by the way, that which is written beyond this will help you. I, I heard him on television and said, I want, to, I want you to get this study Bible. Oh, it's the best one you've ever had. You'll learn more. Said we've studied a whole year to get it. And I thought, oh my, oh my, that must be deep. Not like a raindrop. But uh, when they ordained me, they presented me with a Schofield Bible. That church was packed out. I was scared to death, and I was sitting on the front row, my wife and I. Ralph Tapley walked over to me with that little Schofield Bible they presenting to me. And he opened it up and said, we want to present to you the Word of God. And we want you to promise you'll never forsake. And he went on to talk about this Bible and uh, said, do you so promise? And I said, yes, sir. He said, Get out of that seat on your knee. I'm telling you, like I said, get out. His brother was moderating. And uh, I got out on my knees. He turned that Bible around and had it open and said, uh, Son, kiss that Bible and pledge your allegiance. And I did. So I, I, I'm scared to death about how all that is going to come out. But let me tell you something about it, right? No person is able I don't care how smart they are, is to get a good study Bible and study it for just a year. You know how long it took Schofield to do this? Here's what he did. He got eight men and himself. 
These eight men knew Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and English, and they were scholars. They knew what you're talking about. Now, I don't know how Dr. Schofield uh, did this, how much of the Scripture, but let's pretend. The assignment was the book of Genesis 1 through verse 11. And then you bump into Abraham. But you want to get this covered. And they all went their way, and they gathered again, maybe the same month, next month, I don't know exactly now how, how they gathered, but anyhow, they laid all of their studies out. And then they went over all of them, and for hours they come to a conclusion after for hours looking at notes. Dr. Schofield said this is the best. And uh, so they take that. You know how long it took Dr. Schofield with those eight scholarly men to give us a study Bible? Ten years. That's how long it took. Ten years. So what we have, and uh, I say this, always get the best. You won't regret it. May I illustrate? My wife and I uh, came over one day. I got that little place built over there. and uh, She wanted to go over to Albany, to that big shopping center. So we went. And uh, we got over there, got out. I forget what store was on the corner. And I looked, there's a bookstore. And I said to my wife, I said, let's go here in this bookstore. And see what they got. And she said, all right. So we walked in there. It's a large bookstore. And I thought, they'll have the real stuff here. The little lady at work there was over behind the counter. And there's a lady standing here. And she was fiddling in something or other. And she was looking at me. And I didn't want to interfere. I said, ma'am, uh, do you have a book on etymology? She looked at me and said, sir. I said, it's a book of origin of words. <clears throat> she said, oh, right there on that bottom shelf. One of them was a little thin, about an inch, a big old book. And on, on the top of it was a large book, and it was about that thick. And I looked at it, and uh, the price of that big book was $40. That little one, I forget what it was. But I picked that up and I said, uh, uh, honey, I want to show you something. I said, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to open this book and I want you to pick out a word. No, just put your finger on a word. And so he, she did. And I looked down and I said, read that. And she began to read it. And she said, uh, looked up at me and said, I didn't know that. I said, well, I didn't either till you read it. And it's absolutely amazing. Now, why did I say that? Because in this will teach you how to rightly divide the word and how to study. For instance, you know, just word study. Now, I was looking up this morning. I've had some, you know, them off brands uh, to knock on the door and deny, you know, uh, Jesus and you know, about his birth and et cetera. So I said, let's see if my memory is okay. I, I, I got a light with a magnifying glass, but I still can't see. And uh, But anyway, in the book of Acts, I forget exactly what chapter it is in, but if you go to chapter 2 in the book of Psalm, now they say, well, he, he wasn't born until then, and uh, they didn't know him, et cetera, and so forth. They, they peddle that stuff. And I let them go ahead. I just feed them hook, sinker, line, and all. I want to hook them in the giggle. And I just mm, I hang them. And I said, uh, that, that's a King James Bible. Oh, yes. I said, turn to Psalm chapter 2, please. Turn over there. And, and read. And... Acts had said that concerning this day, my son, have I begotten thee? And the writer said, uh, it's in the book of Psalm. And when she read that, she said, good day, and walked away. 
But let me show you just one word set. Now look, uh, I can't, I can't see you, brother. I don't want to run over time, uh, if you'll just whistle. When you get just about there, and I'll pretend I don't hear you. <laughs> oh, Lord help, no, I wouldn't do that. But I want to show you something. How rich, how rich you are. And your layman can do that. I tell you what, there's a church, one of the largest churches, independently, up in, um, it's Tennessee or North, North Carolina, I forget which. I've heard my pastor uh, mention it several, several times. There was a lady in that church got saved. She got so hungry for the Word of God, she didn't know what to do. And the pastor was showing them how. I suppose that what he did, and one Sunday she came in. She'd been saved about almost a year. Now, Dr. Martin could tell you all about it. And she walked up to the pastor. She is just burning inside. I just got to get this good news out and say, Pastor, let me ask you, uh, do you have any rooms that I could have? I want to start me a, a Bible class if you'll let me. He said, sure, I'll let you. He said, the only thing I have is that little room over yonder under the stairway. She said, I'll take it. She went over there and got one person and walked under that stairway. And I think it was, um, now I want to get this right, year, year and a half, she had over a hundred people and had the largest class in that huge church bubbling over. You know what it was? She learned how to study. She sure will. Now, I want, to, I want to give you one word. Here it is. Now, some of these here, you know, they pretend, well, you can be lost after you say, no way in the world. No way in the world. And I want to prove it by one word. By one word. You'll excuse me, too. But uh, I have a friend. And uh, I don't tell the whole sort, but he didn't believe he eternally saved. And uh, they said, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't believe that. I said, yeah, I know that. And I said, uh, I, I got up. I wasn't trying to be smart. I'm not that smart to be smart. But anyway, here it is. I want you to listen. I prove by one word, the word once, O-N-C-E, once. You know what that word means? Once he was offered, once he died. You know what? In the New Testament, it's mentioned only five times to mean the same thing. This is in a Young's Analytical Concordance. Don't get Strong's. Strong's wonderful, but it's just nothing but just references. The Young will take it and divide it, every bit of it. And this is where this is divided. I looked it up, and it referred me to a number, and I turned it over to it. And beside of that is another little figure. Now, it looks cute, but I didn't know what it was saying till I read it. been some long time ago. And it said, once, that's beyond your concordance. It's the last part of your Bible, of the concordance, if you had it. And here's what it said. Once. Now, it's mentioned in one way to be repeated another way, not to be repeated. And I cannot remember if it's Ephipax or Hapax is, is the way you pronounce that. If it's Ephipax or Hapax, whatever it is, it said once, mentioned five times, not the same, once for all without repetition, never to be repeated again. Once you're saved, it can never be repeated. I say, you get lost. And uh, the other one means once they offered a sacrifice, it's all referenced except for two of them, and they refer to the Old Testament method of sacrifice. And uh, so anyway, just once, once for all. I tell you, there's nothing written like your Bible. I was I was trying to win this family of the Lord there in Mableton or Pastor Grace. And uh, so I visited him. I knew what background he had. 
One morning he walks down the aisle. He's just a squalid. <laughs> and he kneels. And I knelt beside him. And I said, uh, could I help you? He said, yes, sir. He said, I, I, I want to be saved again. And I said, have you ever been saved? He said, yes, sir. I said, sure. Yeah, he said, I've been saved nine times. Well, I thought one more time won't hurt him. <laughs> so what I did, I just taken the word of God and showed it to him. He got up and gave a testimony of being saved. I, I told him, I said, now, home, I'll tell you what I want you to do. When the service is over and they fellowshiped with him and I stand before you, came by, I said, Homer, I said, uh, uh, do you have any time off? You can come and spend with me in my study. Yeah. He said, I can come next Saturday. I said, all right, come over. He came over there, and I just explained to him, you're going to have to have one place that you can drive the stop down and say it was right there. And I said, uh, where are you going to drive it, Homer? He stood there and looked at me, or sat there and looked at me, and he said, Pastor, right down there at that altar. Then I gave him the scripture that he can lean on, rest on, and be blessed by it. Now, let me come. How much time have I got? Please tell me. No. You're the boss. All right. Look, let me just slip over to the book of Romans. Here, here's the New Testament. Let me show you. The first four Gospels is the foundation of the church. And the Pauline and other epistles are the superstructure of the church. Now you have all epistles except seven. You have seven epistles. James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, 1st, 2nd, Peter, and Jude. They are general. They're not addressed to no church. And it doesn't matter where you go. Now, I'm not bragging, but I've had the privilege and to be in 14 foreign countries and, uh, and to preach and uh, except, but anyway, I've never been nowhere from Canada to the tip end of, of Argentina. I've never been nowhere. But what you couldn't take those general epistles. You know what they're called? They're called Catholic epistles. I just a young preacher, and up there in New Georgia, they were having a revival at the church, and the pastor invited me to come up. I said, all right. So I went up on Monday morning. The evangelist was there. And they asked me, will you preach the first message? I said, sure. And I got up and I preached. And then the evangelist got up and preached. They'd have a select, he'd select somebody from the uh, one, a different preacher every morning. And then that evangelist. Well, the evangelist stepped up there. And I'm telling you, he was dressed. You could tell the way he talked. He was well educated. And he said, in the morning services... I'm going to be speaking from the Catholic epistles. I said, Catholic? I, I ain't got no Catholic Bible. I'm a Baptist. You know, I was getting ground in that Baptist business. And we turned over and began to read. And I said, when I left out there, i got to find out what he's talking about. I had no idea. And uh, until uh, I asked a fellow, and I believe that's what he said. And he said, well, Catholic means, you know, global. You know, all the world. So I said, oh, that's what it is. And then it just kind of dawned on me later, that's what it would be. A global Catholic church one day. That'll be the world church when we're moved out of here, for sure. But nevertheless, when you look at the opening of the book of Matthew, look who opens that book. His name is Matthew. And uh, he writes the first gospel. Now, this important. This is really thrilling. Matthew was tax collector. And then he's not only an accountant, but he's accurate in his genealogy. I have two uh, Jewish friends. Um, one of them would attend 
all the services that I'd preached in a certain camp meeting. And uh, oh, the wonderful time we had together, and I'd pick their brain. Now, look at Matthew. And I said, uh, tell me something about Matthew. Why, why him? He said, well, number one, said, you know, he worked for Rome, and uh, they didn't like him because he did that. But uh, when he gave his uh, name, Matthew, or gave the genealogy, said, uh, then he knew and uh, that the Jew read. I said, sure enough. He said, yeah. I said, now, uh, I've been talking to a Jewish man. I said, how will I reach him? He said, well, you'd have to give a gift. But said, if we write one, we'll put our genealogy in. said, when that Jew, Jesus knew when that Jew picked up that pen and put it to paper and uh, began to write, that when they read the genealogy, they would say, well, he's right on his genealogy. Let's read the rest of it and see why. And then they'll read about him coming. Now, the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is a foundation. Remember the epistles of the superstructure. All right? When you go to the book of Acts, that is the pivot on which the Old Testament economy turned. And then the gospel of the kingdom ceased. We don't preach the gospel of the kingdom. We preach the gospel of the grace of God. Now understand how it can be used two ways in the New Testament. But let me say, when you come after Acts and you see how that economy turns from the old to the new, and then there is the book of Romans. The first eight chapters of Romans is salvation. You want to get it right? Read the first eight chapters. And you'll be enlightened how simple that is. Alright? The next three chapters deals with Israel. Chapter 9, Israel is selected. Chapter 2, they're rejected. And chapter 11, they're received again. So, they were in the Old Testament. God wrote all this book to them because Jew wrote everything this Bible records. And so then, they rejected Christ and they were set aside. Now, here, now, I must say it because this is what... Uh, some of those fellows believe that God set aside the Jew. Postmillennialists believe that. And God said, uh, the postmillennialist says, now they're out of it. And God is through with Israel. So he took all of the covenants, all the promises, and applied it to the church. There's nothing any further from the truth than that. No. He's going to reach out for Israel one more time. Now, you, you think the Holocaust was tough? It was. Millions were put to death. But that's nothing compared to what they're about to face when the church is raptured out of here. And that battle begins. That's when God reaches for his bride and becomes his wife. And the church will become the wife of Christ. We're, we're a spouse now. Yeah, we're a spouse now. One day there's going to be a great wedding. And oh, how wonderful. So we looked at premillennialism, postmillennialism, and then mid-tribulationists. The glorious gospel is mentioned in the New Testament. I'm just trying to show if they just set them in order. This Bible is put out in chronological order that you could miss it if you'll read with an open mind and have just somebody kind of, you know, to help you out in the deep ditches and the places. But remember that one day after a while, the king's going to come. But now, look at the glorious gospel. This is the only gospel that God ever committed to an angel to step out 
and cry aloud and say the glorious gospel. You know what it is? That wonderful gospel of grace and the good news of Elijah when he comes and converts some of those Jews <coughs> and from the twelve tribes, twelve thousand will come from each one. Twelve to twelve is hundred and forty four thousand. There'll be fiery Jews and they'll go around the globe and preach what is the gospel of grace? No, gospel of the kingdom. And then they'll believe it. And that glorious gospel, now what is it? Why is it to take glorious gospel? Here it is. It's given to you in the scripture. For Jesus, the Son of God, has saved him, and he himself is entered into that glory, and he's bringing sons into that glory, and daughters into that glorious place. Where it says, I have not seen, ears not heard, neither ever in the heart of man things God has stored for them that love him. And then there is the theology of that global, what we call, um, uh, what did I call it a while ago? No. Uh, but anyhow, you know, when you get my age, you might miss <laughs> a lot of it. But what it is, it is a global uh, uh, government. He will come and sit on the throne of David. He comes to the closing of that battle of Armageddon, and uh, it'll be fought. He'll sit on the throne of David for a thousand golden years. And oh, what a time that will be. And... Uh, that theology says that his government will cover the earth. But they believe he has a government now. Nope. Listen to this. In order to have a government that this Bible teaches, there's three things you've got to have. You've got to have a king. You've got to have a throne. And you have a theocracy form of government. A global thing. There be one law given, and then the world will bow to that law. That will be what Christ will do. And so, when we look at it, we've come from Matthew through Acts through Romans, and remember. Now, Galatians is a tremendous book. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about the rest of them. Because I'm afraid I'm running out of time already, haven't I? Now look, I can't see it all. I don't know where, where, where. Carlton, I told you when I get about five minutes. Huh? Oh, it is okay. So next, it's time for me to quit and get down. So that's where we are. But let me give you a revelation real quick. I mean, it's very simple. First four chapters deal with Christendom. Beginning with the Ephesus, going down through the last one, which is what? What's the last church? Laodicea. Age. That's where we're at. Neither hot nor cold. That's where we're at. First four chapters is Christendom. And it goes down, down, down. And then you take up with uh, the prophecy of the coming tribulation or the rest of it. And they will suffer as never before. What a horrible time that will be. Now I'll tell you how you can escape that. He said, look unto me all ye ends of the earth. Could I borrow that out of context? Because they take so much out of context. Just like it was when Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. They put it out of the context. He's talking about in the millennial and what would be theirs. You can make an application. But you can't say that that is for us. Oh, you can borrow that. God's able to do anything he wants to at any time. And we wouldn't limit him. But I trust the Lord will bless you.
but the end of time. I, I could I say one other thing? I don't say anymore. I'm right at the end of uh, the book of Revelation. I want to show you. I was listening one morning. This fellow. Now he he pastors one of the large churches, and uh, that's neither here nor there. And I'm not trying to be smart or anything, but he read, and he's teaching through Revelation. And whenever he got to chapter 21, he said, uh, "Now now look at this." He said, uh, "And uh, they'll be cast into the lake of fire." And uh, then the scripture said that he'll blot that from my mind. He said, now what that's going to do, God's going to give you enough grace. You're going to realize and remember that your people are in hell, but you're going to have enough grace. You can live with it. It doesn't bother you. You look over and see your parents in hell. That's not what that Bible says. Here's where your word study comes in. He has blotted out from our minds. Look, let me give you an illustration. Go out in the wind. And it's blowing it, blow a fire and matter into your eye. Tears starts running. Well, you can sit there and take your hanky and wipe all you want to. It won't quit till you go to the source and remove that. Now, what that says, whenever that, that we'll weep at the white throne judgment when we see them dying, friends. And uh, then he'll turn and wipe the tears from our eyes. From our eyes. He'll remove that which caused the tear. And God will move out of your mind. You will not know who's in hell. All will be glorious in that land. Wonderful. So you have nothing to worry about. And the problems of this world. And the burdens of your heart. The song said are rolled away. But the burden will be blotted out. And never to remember that no more. We can't comprehend what it'd be like. It's indescribable. So I've just kind of dusted it. But Lord bless you. Thank you, Pastor.